Hi, my name's Grant Fishbook, and I am honored to be the lead teaching pastor here at Christ the King Church in Bellingham, Washington. Thank you so much for choosing to access this online content today. We really hope you'll enjoy this message. One of our values here at Christ the King is biblical face-to-face -face community. And so while we are so excited that you joined us today online, I really want to encourage you. Make sure that this is never a placement for face-to-face -face biblical community. Your story matters, you matter, and we want to see you get connected in a local church. Now, if you're here in our area, we would love to have you join us at any one of our five campuses. But if you find yourself outside of the Bellingham area, we really want you to get connected into a local church. So we hope and pray that that happens for you very, very soon. I'd love to say good morning to the sleep-in service. Glad that you guys are here. Thanks for joining us. Also want to thank everybody who's online watching in. I want to say a special greeting to a group of pastors and their family from uh, Uganda who actually gather every Thursday afternoon. They do church every weekend, and then they join us uh, on Thursday to have a time of worship and, and, uh, and Bible teaching just to encourage their own souls. And they sent me an email earlier this week uh, that they were watching in. And so we want to welcome our brothers and our sisters in Uganda. Can you guys just say hello and welcome them? We're glad that they're here too. If I haven't met you before, my name is Grant, one of the teaching pastors here. Years ago, I used to stay up late and watch David Letterman. Letterman uh, used to play these stupid games, and one of the games was called Will It Float? And we're going to play our own version of Will It Float? So in your outline today, you will find five different items, an egg, a gallon of milk, a can of Spam, a can of Pepsi, and a can of Diet Pepsi. I want you to circle your answer, yes or no, will it float? Okay. Don't argue. I saw a husband and wife have a complete throwdown last night. It's Saturday night over a can of spam, believe it or not. I'm just like, so stay on the happy side of this whole thing. We're just going to simply ask the question, will or will it not float? Let's start with an egg. Are you ready? How many vote yes? How many vote no? How many don't care? <laughs> Stick with me. Glad you're in church. All right, here we go with the egg. Oh, all the way to the bottom. All right, let's try something different. How about a gallon of whole milk? Will it float? Who says yes? Who says no? <laughs> People are starting to care. That's good. Ah, it's like, what? All the fourth grade science kids are like, we do this all the time. I already know the answers. That's great. All right, how about a can of Spam? No? How many of you think it should drown no matter what, right? Because... 
because it's spam and it's horrible, all right? Let's watch. Here we go. Ready? See ya. All the way to the bottom and so deserved. That's the way that it should be. All right. Now, these two have actually been... I don't know really what's been going on with them. They react differently in almost every single service. I have no idea. Kind of crazy. Can of Pepsi, will it float? Yes? We'll get rid of the air. Oh. Yes. Some of you are like, I won, I lost, ah. Oh. Let's try a can of Diet Pepsi and see if it does anything different. Sometimes it does, sometimes it doesn't. Now it's going to stay up this time. You have no idea. Here's what I know and the reason why we're actually having this conversation. It's amazing to me what will and will not float. And what I have found is the only thing that will allow you to be buoyant in this life is this crazy thing called hope. This is the only thing that will keep your, ne- your nose above the waterline because we live in a broken world. It's just the way that it works. The truth is this, getting down is going to happen to every single one of us. It's a part of life. Staying down is what will drown you. So God has placed this indomitable spirit inside of human beings that allows us to continue to hope even when life is really, really, really difficult. A recent study of hopelessness revealed four primary stealers of hope. They were tragedy, illness, stress, and change. Four elements that most of us deal with on a fairly regular basis. I mean, what's amazing to me is this. Has anybody else noticed that that tragedy in this country lasts about a day? And then it gets bumped off the front page and it's replaced by another tragedy. I mean, we don't even have 24 hours to wrap our hearts around a tragedy before another one shows up, whether it's a fire or a shooting. It's just this this level of tragedy. And the problem is, is that tragedy begins to affect us and we just get weighted down. And before we know it, we're under the waterline struggling to breathe. Tragedy affects all of us. At some point in our life, we're all going to deal with an illness. I hope and pray that it's not long-term, but that adds to the weight on top of us. And before we know it, we're struggling to breathe, trying to get back to the top of the waterline. And then there's just the regular stress of life. There's just the pressures that come, those little losses that just pick away at your heart and with your soul. And before you know it, you got a lot of weight piled in on top of you. And then there's this thing called change. It's the one constant in life. It never gives up. It never goes away. Everything is changing. And before we know it, we find ourselves struggling to breathe underneath the pressure of regular life. And what happens is we just begin to lose our hope. The people who are part of the original church in Rome, they experienced all four of these simultaneously. But they were able to hold on to hope in spite of unbelievable pressure. I mean, the massacre of their spiritual family was happening around them. Christians were murdered by the thousands during this particular time in history. There was the stress of political pressure, which was, which was causing them to, to be buried underneath of this weight. There was the constant change that any new movement is going to experience. And if you read some of the original journals of original Christians, sickness was prolific just simply because of the pressure that they were under. And the apostle Paul, their pastor, writes them a letter. 
and pleads with them to not give up hope. I believe this letter is more relevant today than it has ever been before. And I'd like you to listen to Paul's incredible and challenging appeal for hope. In Romans chapter 5, the Bible says this, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we've gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Let me set the stage. The Apostle Paul says this, if you want to float, if you want to get above the waterline, you better put your hope in more than just wishful thinking. You need to put your hope in the confident assurance that Jesus Christ is your solid rock. On Christ the solid rock I stand And that gives me comfort when everything else is sinking sand. I put it in your outline this way. Hope is not wishful thinking. It's confident assurance. Wishful thinking sounds like this. I really hope the Seahawks make the playoffs this year. Wishful thinking, especially when you're five and five. I'm just saying that you can put all of your wishful thinking into that statement, but it doesn't change the reality. And there's no guarantee that come January, we're going to have anything to celebrate at all. Not being a pessimist, I'm just being real. Okay? That's wishful thinking. Confident assurance says this. The plate of my football team does not dictate whether or not I have a good or bad week. Confident assurance says my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. And so therefore, I will put my hope towards Jesus. And according to the holy word of God, he has made over 7,000 promises to me. And because God doesn't lie, there actually is a guarantee that God is going to come through. That's where I put my hope, not in the fate of a football team. For the record, I love the Hawks, just so you're cool. Okay, all right? I put my hope into the eternal hands of a savior who saved me. And now comes the tough stuff. The Bible goes on because we all love that sentiment. Yeah, have some hope. It's good, Grant. Thank you. Now comes the hard part. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. Let's just be really honest. We all want the outcome of hope at the end. We just don't want to have to go through the process to get there. We just don't want to go there. I hate to tell you, but it's true. Hope is built through a painful process. Most of us would like to skip the painful part and have the hope, but that's just not the way life works. The Bible actually teaches in Romans chapter 5 that there's a process that has the outcome of hope, and it starts with suffering. Now, before you start comparing suffering and going, boy, I really, really got it bad, I want to remind you of the original audience of these verses. The early church in Rome were being massacred by the thousands. They were hunted by the government for sport. They were persecuted. They were on the run. There was pressure at every turn. This group knew prolific suffering, but in their suffering, something happened inside of them. They developed this beautiful thing called perseverance. Instead of running and fleeing, they locked in on the hope of Jesus They held on to that in the middle of prolific pain. And the reason I know that they did an amazing job in persevering is because I'm looking at their legacy right now. 
2,000 years later. You're still here following their example. If they had crumbled, the movement that they were a part of would have disappeared into the history books, but the legacy is still here. There's still a group of Bible-thumping Jesus freaks in Whatcom County who actually think that God can allow us to become purveyors of hope in an unbelievably hopeless world. Let me tell you, when you press through those obstacles and those challenges, a refinement happens. It's a, it's a part of character development. In the first couple of years of our marriage, Laurel and I had, had 10 immediate family members diagnosed with cancer. We lost six of them. Just boom, 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 boom. We learned some things, some character development. When people are, are going to heaven around you, you learn the difference between a want and a need. You learn the right kind of priorities to have when you're pressed down to the bottom of the tank and you can't keep your nose above the waterline. You learn how to look to the eternal because the temporary is exactly that. It's just temporary. And when you emerge intact in spite of the challenges, there's an outcome. That's when hope arrives. That is not an easy process for people who want to live their life based on wishful thinking. This is a necessary process for those of us who are following Jesus. So let me say it as clear as I possibly can. Real hope is impossible apart from God because God is the eternal object of our hope. And hope is God's gift to people who are willing to suffer, persevere, develop, and stick with him, not run away. Amen. Let me say it another way. Hope is an outcome of our spiritual formation. And the Bible goes on in verse 5 and says this, and hope does not put us to shame. The hope of God will not embarrass you. It will not expose you. It will not leave you out there with people going, what in the world? Even though it's mis easily misunderstood in our current culture, hope does not put us to shame. Why? Because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. I don't know if you know this, but I hope you'll learn it today. God meets you when you're down here. That's where he meets you. When the temporary pain of life presses us under the waterline, we're challenged to find hope. One of the honors of being a pastor is that I get to sit with people in the final days and hours of their lives. I'm amazed at what disappears in a hospice room. I'm amazed what's no longer important in a hospital room when, when life is coming to a close. And I've had the high honor of, of sitting alongside of people, and I will never forget times with, with Shirley and Victoria and Terry and Tom, and the list goes on and on and on. People who were suffering, persevering, having their character refined by pain, and every one of them had this beautiful gift in the closing moments of their life. It was the hope of heaven. When hope invades a room, death runs. So if you want real hope today, you got to know this. You got to know that hope is rooted in the eternal, not the temporary. Some years ago, I watched my friend Chelsea battle cancer. Some of you still remember Chelsea Ebert. She left a mark on our soul. This 16-year-old girl with her, with her passion for life just brought so much hope to our church. The reality was we watched Chelsea just kind of waste away right in front of us. She suffered, she fought, she persevered. And not only did she refine her own character, she refined mine. 
she gave me so much hope. I will never forget as long as I live. I'm at home one afternoon. Chelsea actually had my phone number. She would often text encouragement. She asked me one night, she goes, are you going to be at, at church tonight? I really, really need prayer. And my answer to her was, no, I actually have the flu. I'm not feeling well. Now you need to know, Chelsea was a total character. And I knew I was in trouble the second those words came out of my mouth. I'm not going to be able to come to church tonight to pray with you because I've got a touch of the flu. Because Chelsea said, oh, are you sick? I'm so sorry you have a little fever. I'm sorry that your tummy's upset. I've been going to chemo all week, but it's okay. You just stay home. I'll find somebody else to pray with me at church. And I dragged my sorry backside out of bed, and I got dressed, and I came to church, and I preached my brains out because there was a young lady there who was living hope in spite of her suffering and her perseverance. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians, Christians, followers of Jesus, you need to hear this. Therefore, we do not lose heart. I think Christians are really, really good at whining and complaining. You know why we do that? It's because our hope is in the front page of the newspaper instead of being in the open pages of the Holy Word of God, which is where God gives us all of his promises. We spend too much time reading the New York Times and not enough time in the Word of God. Can I get an amen on that? Therefore, we do not lose heart, though outwardly we're wasting away, yet inwardly we're being renewed day by day for our light and momentary troubles. You can only say that if you have an eternal perspective. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes, not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. You know, the reality is some of you are feeling hopeless today because your eyes are stuck on the brokenness of this planet. I got news for you. It's not going to get better. The Bible says it's on a slow slide. Now, what's beautiful is this. In the midst of this much darkness, a little bit of light goes an awfully long way. In the midst of this much hopelessness, one or two acts of kindness this week could actually transform an entire county if we would just get with God's program. But some of us are so focused on the brokenness, and the only result that we get is that we end up feeling hopeless. If that is you, your eyes are in the wrong place. They're in the wrong place. And the Bible pleads with us to lift our eyes to Jesus and his eternal promise that one day he's going to return and make it right. And on that day, justice will be served. Sin will be banished. Cancer will be crushed. Wrongs will be righted. Jesus will reign. And those who know him will get to reign along with him. That's the day I'm looking forward to. How about you? I love this about hope. I love this about hope. For the, for the grammar nerds in the room that are kind of like me, you like languages and English and all that kind of stuff. Hope is one of the only words in both English and Greek that can be both a noun and a verb. Amen. Some of you are like, so what? I just, I just think that's cool. <laughs> because what the Bible is saying is you can hope or trust 
in, in Greek, that, that, that's the verb elpizo, or you can have hope, a confident expectation. That's the Greek noun elpis. It means basically this. When you take the word hope, it's always connected to other phrases. Hope in God, hope of glory, which means this. As Christians, I don't live in a world of wishful thinking. My hope is directed. It's specific. It's not vague. It's not uncertain. It's connected with the virtues of patience and suffering. And ultimately, those things don't give us hope, but I am attached to a God who gives us hope in spite of suffering, enables us to be patient in the pain so that we're able to grow in faith, which is defined in scripture as the hope of things unseen. Let me make that as practical as I can. Some of you are here today and you are not facing a cancer diagnosis and you should be thankful. And even if that's you, there may still be things in this thing called life that the quiet little losses, the the stresses, and they can just make that season hard. Now, then again, there may be people in the room, you're facing a diagnosis or a loss. Maybe you lost your job or, or you fear that you might. Maybe you're just overwhelmed by your workload. Maybe this is going to be your first Thanksgiving and Christmas without somebody. Maybe they passed away. Maybe they left you. Maybe they are estranged from you. Some of you in this room are, are struggling because you're going to entertain family later this week that you wish you were estranged from. Let's be honest. Everybody here is facing something. You are. And you don't lose points around here by pretending you're not dealing with things called life. To all of us, whether it's little losses or big diagnosis, I think we all need to hear the same thing. You can't manufacture hope. Not the real hope of the Bible. You can't just go out and dredge up some hope. So if you're going to find it, you have to find it outside of yourself. And I want you to know hope is in God. In fact, it comes from God as a gift. It's not something we can earn. The experience of that kind of hope often comes as the Bible reminds us when we realize something, that God is with us in the suffering, in the small and the large losses, in the stress that stretches our character. I love the fact that God did not make himself insulated from pain. He actually stepped into the center of pain. I don't know about you, but I'm so thankful that I serve a God today who practiced what he preached that he was willing to go here and submerge himself in sin, that he who knew no sin became sin for us so that we could experience hope. You know, I've noticed something over the last couple of weeks. Apparently, we've struck a bit of a chord when it comes to this hope theme so much so that we're going to come back around again. We've got one more week in the series. We're going to come back around to it again in February. So, and and the reason we're doing this series is because my wife told me I had to, which I thought was pretty awesome. (laughs) She requested a series on hope. Well, we've just seen God do some crazy cool things with it. So, so we're going to stay on the theme. We're going to come back again to it. But the more that I've studied it, the more I realize something. When the Bible mentions hope, you will often find the word faith in the same sentence. Our faith in God is the basis and foundation for our hope. So I guess you could put it this way. Hope and faith are built together. It's a construction project. Built with the bricks, sometimes painfully with suffering, perseverance, and character development. 
but they're built together. Let me read three different scriptures for you, just three individual verses. Hebrews chapter 11, verse one. Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and the assurance about what we do not see. Hebrews chapter 11, or sorry, uh, Galatians chapter five. For through the spirit, we eagerly await by faith the righteousness for which we hope. And then this one, 1 Corinthians 13. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. I've noticed, I spend a lot of time talking about faith and love. Very rarely do I ever talk about hope. That's why I'm glad we're changing this. I used to do ministry as a youth pastor. I used to take kids from rural Manitoba and rural Washington State to Skid Row in Los Angeles. Whenever I would take a group of kids on a missions trip and we would spend a week working down in Skid Row, LA, we would always start our week off exactly the same way. On the very first night, I'd load them up in a van and we would do a prayer tour, weaving back and forth on the streets of Skid Row, Los Angeles, that entire area. Normally, we would start the prayer tour going to the Biltmore Hotel. The Biltmore is one of the most opulent, extravagant unbelievable hotels that you've ever seen in the Los Angeles area. What a lot of people don't know is that two blocks away from the Biltmore is where Skid Row starts. And I'd watch these kids as we would drive back and forth in silence and I would watch them begin to lose hope. It's hard not to lose your hope when you're face to face with hunger and homelessness and violence and anger. And inevitably, one of the kids would point something out. They'd say, Grant, nobody laughs on Skid Row. You never hear laughter there. So we would wind our way back and forth, praying that somehow God would allow us to find hope and bring hope. And then we would always conclude the prayer tour in exactly the same location, underneath of a street sign. And I would get this group of somber kids gathered around and I would point them to the street sign and say, I need you to focus your eyes there. There are three main roads that go through Skid Row in LA. They used to be called faith, hope, and love or charity. That's what they used to be called until it became politically incorrect to actually have really cool names for streets. Today they're called Flower, (laughs) that's a great upgrade, right? And Grand Street. But there's one that has retained its original name. And it runs right down the center of Skid Row. It's a street called Hope. And we would gather the kids and have them look. And I would say all week long, I need you to look for hope. You're going to need to be intentional about looking. It's going to hide in lots of different corners. But you need to look for hope. I can honestly say I found so much more hope on Skid Row than anywhere else I've ever been in my life. I found hope in an after-school program that was put on by a little tiny church. And after school, every day, they would welcome a group of kids who for 90 minutes did not have to worry because they were in a cinder block building. They didn't have to worry about getting shot. They didn't have to worry about whether mom and dad were going to come home high or drunk. They just got to have 90 minutes where they were loved by a group of staff people and had to, they got to have the experience of being children. They got to play and laugh and dance and sing. 
And I found hope in those kids because they were transforming their neighborhood. I found hope at the exact same church on Wednesday nights because every Wednesday night that little church hosts what they call homeless karaoke. And people from the street would come in and for the only time during that week, they would experience laughter and and love and people would sing these beautiful old songs. I mean, Motown and soul, you name it, it got sung and people would cheer and love each other. I mean, there was this little tiny stage, but it may as well have been Carnegie Hall because of the beauty of just people being together. I found hope at the LA mission in the heart of their chaplain. His name was Alleluia Earl. Guess what Alleluia Earl's favorite word was? Alleluia. I mean, he just loved saying that about anything. It didn't matter what was going on. Something's going bad, he'd say, Alleluia. Something going great, he'd say, Alleluia. Somebody gave him no donation, he'd say, Alleluia. Somebody give him a million dollars, Alleluia. I mean, that was just Earl. That was just the person that he was. I found hope in his, in his resilience. I found hope in a little church in Nooksack that, that showed up one year not knowing that someone had broken into the drop-in center and stolen all of their equipment. Everything was gone. But we found hope because our church gave us a little extra money to take along with us in case we ran into a project that needed to be done. And we got to go shopping and replace everything they lost. And hope came running back in again. And I found something that as we looked for hope and brought hope in just a little bit of time, I began to notice something. I began to notice that, that the illness of sin started to be peeled away in, in layers. I began to find that the stress of being on Skid Row just moved into the background when it was replaced with, with hugs and love and an opportunity to share a peanut butter sandwich with a nine-year-old kid who lived on Skid Row. I began to, to understand very, very quickly that even the changes that we were experiencing in our own lives just suddenly seemed to kind of move into the background. They just didn't really seem to matter anymore. And all of a sudden, I mean, just, things just began to change. And then we, we would, in the spite of tragedy, I watched things just begin to, to, to peel away. And the tragedy of what was happening on those, on those streets was suddenly replaced with a different kind of story. The story, the tragic story of a dying savior who didn't stay dead. And the pressure began to lift and people began to rise that were lifted by a story that is still changing hearts today. A story that says a God who could have remained immune from the pain instead stepped into pain, endured suffering, persevered for us so that his obedience could pay a debt that we couldn't pay. And he was is a perfect and holy God. Once again, I'm so thankful today for a God who practices what he preaches so that in the midst of all this garbage, I can still have hope. The same story we tell here every six days through the suffering of Jesus, eternal hope was built for me and for you. You know, I've noticed something about my Bible. I often stop reading way too soon. You know, I just kind of come to a logical place to stop and, and sometimes I get stuck. I'll be honest with you. I read Romans chapter five multiple times this week and I don't know why, but I kept reading Romans chapter five and it kept coming back to me, my suffering, my perseverance, my character development. It just kept coming back to me and I found that in getting focused on my story, I started missing a bigger story. Do you know where the biggest story is in Romans chapter five? in verse 6. Verse 6 says, you see, at just the right time, 
just the right time, when it looked like sin was winning, when it looked like the wheels were coming off the world, when it looked like life was nothing but hopeless tragedy over and over again, at just that right time, at that perfect moment in history, at just the right time when we were still powerless, when we were drowning at the bottom of the tank and couldn't get a breath inside of our lungs, when we were still powerless to float on our own, Christ died for the ungodly. That's the hope that we've been looking for. That's the hope that sustains you when it hurts. That's the hope you're going to sing about in just a couple of weeks. The thrill of hope, a weary world rejoices. For yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. This is not a pep talk to don't stay down. This is a pep talk to understand that God's the only one who can make you float. The reason we do the blessing here at Christ the King is because we want to be purveyors of hope. Just like the rural kids from Manitoba and Everson, Nooksack, Washington would go to Los Angeles, the people of Christ the King have been placed in this community to be purveyors of hope. It's an opportunity for us that have been blessed to be a blessing to somebody without even knowing who it's going to sometimes. I say this to you every year. I've had the privilege of saying it to you for the last 15 years while we've done the blessing together that it may look like a little green envelope to you. It's not. It's somebody else's miracle. I also say this. I hope and pray you never, ever need the CTK blessing hope you never need it. Because if you do, it means that you've got a couple of these pressing down in on top of you and your hope may be drowning. I hope you never need it. But if you ever do, I also hope and pray that there's a group of generous people who are willing to still believe that the God of hope can bring hope into the most hopeless situations. So you're going to have an opportunity to participate, whether you do or don't. That's not between you and me. That's between you and the Jesus who brings hope to all of us. I hope and pray that you'll think and pray and ask God, what could I sacrificially do to help somebody that I've never even met before? I hope and pray that we can be that kind of hope. Maybe some of you just need an expression. I've been watching the My Hope is Built board out in the commons. I'm amazed how many of those stories I actually have had the privilege of seeing. People have walked out there and said, this is where I'm finding hope. And maybe you need to walk out today and just write the name of somebody or or somewhere or something. I'm walking out after this service. I'm just going to put Skid Row LA in one corner of that little mural. Because that's where I find hope, in the most unexpected of places. I've watched people write things on that board. I've also watched people just stand in front of it and soak in all of these different places where in a hopeless world, God is bringing hope. Maybe what you write isn't just for what you're writing. Maybe it's for somebody who's going to read it. You may want to hold on to that too. So we're going to pray. Some of you are looking at your watches going, we're early. Yes. (laughs) We're going to pray. And then we're going to sing. 
We're going to bring the service to conclusion by giving back to God our tithes and our offerings. And if you're a guest today, would you do me a favor? If you're visiting with us, we don't want anything from you. We would love Jesus for you, the God of hope. But we don't want anything from you. We don't expect anything from you. You've already given us the greatest gift we could ever ask for. That's the fact that you came. Hope you'll come back. This is a moment when the people of God have an opportunity to give back. And we're supposed to do it joyfully and generously so that we can not only continue ministry that's going on here, but through little green envelopes, we can be somebody else's miracle. And I'll leave that to you for that good work. If you've already given online this week, thank you for doing that. We sure appreciate it. Would you pray with me as we close? Father God, I thank you that you practice what you preach. I thank you that in this much darkness, a little bit of light goes a long way. I pray that the purveyors of hope who've come to the 1115 service today will embrace the fact that they are a broken vessel. And the fact that they are broken allows you to flow out and touch and to bring hope to a hopeless world. May we do this through our lives, through our conversations, through the blessing, and right now, through our generosity. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. At Homeless Karaoke on Wednesday nights at Center Street Church in LA, they always finish exactly the same way. At the end of the evening, a man in a wheelchair rolls to the front. He calls himself Garbage Can Eddie. He gave himself that name. And if you meet him for the first time, he will say this to you. I smell like a garbage can but I can sing like an angel. And every time karaoke wraps up, Eddie rolls to the front. Haven't seen him in years. I hope and pray that he is well. He rolls to the front and will sing a different version of Amazing Grace. I've heard him sing it soul. I've heard him sing it country. Even heard him rap it once. And today you're going to have an opportunity to sing a song of hope from a vessel that may be suffering, persevering, and developing character, but also a vessel that has a promise from God Almighty. If you hang in there, you'll have hope and you'll float. Let's stand together, ushers, if you would, please. Thanks again for watching. We're so glad that you joined us today. Once again, we hope you'll get involved in biblical face-to-face community wherever you happen to be today. If you'd like more information about Christ the King Community Church, if you'd like to give online, or if you'd like to submit a prayer request, or even get connected in a small group, you can find out more about us at ctk.church.